First Church Charlotte. Um, the images in this passage are very, very important and are referenced and referred to quite a lot. Um, Jesus rebuking the merchants in the temple and Jesus also um, cursing the fig tree. Um, These are not small moments in the scripture. These are quite large moments in the scripture. The astonishing thing is they happen uh, just in a compressed season of time. And if you're anything like me, when you read Bible stories, um, you find yourself wanting to to learn, to understand, to grow. You find yourself uh, asking yourself, what does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, this is a fair question. Any any sincere follower of Jesus Christ reads scriptures like this and desires to learn, desires to to grow, desires to uh, become more like Jesus. When I think oftentimes about how Jesus taught, I'm reminded by the the fact that he didn't give a lot of instruction like a modern day preacher. He didn't, he wasn't, he, he asked a lot of big questions and you had to find the answer to those questions in yourself. Um, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? These are really, really, really big questions. And this was the style, if you will, of Jesus' teaching. We are challenged in our own hearts and in our own minds. We are challenged to be followers of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes after prayer, I'll ask myself, Lord, is there a question that I should be asking myself? Or is there a question that you would like to ask me that would create in me the same response that a follower of yours sitting around your feet, that same emotional response that a follower would have felt? They couldn't just apply it as a list of, I ought to do this, I ought to do that. But they had to wrestle with it. Um, And the question that came to me was this. Do you want to be a Christian? Or do you just want to be saved? That challenged me deeply. uh, Because the truth is... I had, I had to think about that. I think it's so easy for us to just want to be saved, not really want to follow Jesus. And I think that is the difference between the follower and the apostle, uh, the one who would show up for a Bible lesson, but not the one who would lay down their life. Do I want to be a Jesus follower, or do I just want to be saved? There's no history of any people that does not find a very strong religious impulse among them. 
To be religious is not to be a Jesus follower, it's to be human. And even in this post-Christian age, people are even so very religious. They just have different things they worship, different ideals. Now it may be an environmental cause. It may be a political cause. Uh, it may be a hobby, career, sports team. It may be self. Um, but they're very religious. They just don't have a religion that is celebrated beyond their own personal altar. And so the Spirit asks me, do, do you want to be a Jesus follower or do you just want to be saved? The difference is what is the bare minimum and what is the journey? Am I just looking for fire insurance or am I wanting to grow and become who Jesus wants me to be? Let me pause here for a moment. I think we're having technical difficulties because I keep having people trying to get in and uh, it won't let them in. Um, evidently, the little software package I have that lets people in is somehow buggy and not. And so I'm going to have to try to um, deal with this. I apologize in advance. Uh, let's continue and I'll try to multitask and uh, you can be forgiving with me if I don't do a good job as my wife did uh, Sunday. When I read passages like Mark chapter number 11, I have to really ask myself, what was Jesus wanting from the people who followed him? What was he wanting? What was he trying to say in this moment where he puts right together the cursing of a fig tree out of season and a temple where they have made everything else um, important except everything else important except the purposes of God. So real quick, let me uh, give you some contextual information that may help you with this with this reality. First of all, let's talk about the fig tree. Um, the fig tree had leaves. There are a species of fig tree that has an early crop. They have leaves early and they have figs early. You can read more about this. There's a, there's a name of these trees. Um, and when they had the sign that they have early fruit, which even today in the Holy Land, people will eat the tiny nubs of figs before they're the large figs, they will eat them. And one of the signs of that is the early, the early blooming, if you will, of the leaves. Um, it could have been, and I've heard it preached and taught, that that is, that is the case. That is what's going on. Jesus, because there was leaves, knew that this fig tree was one of the species that should have the nubs of fruit and that people even today in the Holy Land will eat them when they're very small. Um, and that's what it represents. And so the lesson is a lesson of fruitfulness, do you see? Um, that, could be, that could be it. Um, I think there's more though, because it's placed right beside the failure of the house of Israel, learning the ways of God, 
in spite of having been given the laws of God, in spite of having been given the blessings of God, in spite of having been given the covenant, do you see? Uh, this lesson is more than that. And so if you look in the scripture for fig leaves, there's a passage. I'm going to see if I can find it here. Uh, there's a passage, um, Genesis chapter number three, uh, verse number seven. Um, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, this is after the fall, after sin. And the Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Uh, I've never heard that taught or preached. I've never heard that scripture associated. That just today in my study today, uh, I came across that. What are they trying to do with fig leaves? They're trying to cover their own newly comprehended nakedness. They're trying to cover their shame and embarrassment. They are trying to undo what they have done with fig leaves. But humanity cannot do what only God can do. Humanity cannot in any way, under no circumstance, produce a righteousness that will satisfy God. This is the error and flaw of the of, of a Pharisee theology where I become good through my efforts. Look how hard I work. I've look at me. I'm not like other folks. And so when the Pharisee prays, he cannot have an audience with God without having a winner and a loser. And he needs to look down his nose at somebody. He needs to have this sense of I am good. So he has confidence with God. His confidence is not from the promise of the Lord. His confidence is not from the goodness of the Lord. His confidence is because he's not like other people. Therefore, the Pharisee needs a symbolic holiness, a symbolic righteousness that they can use to contrast themselves with other people. Do you see? Uh, so the fig leaves are sewn together in this desperate attempt to make us holy enough to have confidence with God. All the law and its instruction is hopefully teaching them they can't be good enough, not teaching them they're better than other people. All the law, all the sacrifices is teaching them that they cannot be their righteousness, not that they're more righteous than other people. And so he comes to the tree, the tree in all scripture, scriptural symbolism uh, represents Israel. It's not just this passage, um, all the passages, it represents Israel. Uh, here's Israel, and they're covered with leaves, but they have no fruit. Do you see? They're covered with leaves, but they have no fruit. It's just like Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're sowing desperately these leaves of covering so their shame will not be visible. It's a false covering. 
It's a false righteousness. It's a false goodness. When do churches stop growing? Let me say it differently. When do uh, Christians stop being effective in reaching out and embracing other people, leading them to repentance, leading them to faith. When do Christians get to the point where they can invite 10 people every day to church and no one will come with them? When do they get there? When somehow their demeanor has a a false, self-serving godliness to it. And all of a sudden people don't want a covering of fig leaves. They want fruit. Now, isn't it interesting that the transformation God is looking for in all of us and the scripture is referred to as fruit, (laughs) the fruit of the spirit. What is God looking for? I've, I've woven together this fig leaves of my best efforts. I pray with the other Pharisees early in the morning. It's good to pray early in the morning. And I want everyone to know. I want everyone to, I want to broadcast it. I'm going to look around and I'm going to have confidence with God because there's other people. They're not as good as me. It's a false righteousness. It is a false covering and it unfortunately will not work. And so Jesus finds a fig tree symbolic of Israel. It has lots of leaves. It has no fruit. I've never heard that taught or preached, but today in my study, that's what the Lord laid upon my spirit. So I want to include that as the symbolic depth of this scripture. On one hand, you have a lesson in fruitfulness. On the other hand, you have this lesson in a tree, fig tree, symbolic in all passages of scripture of Israel, this fig tree. It has leaves, but has no fruit. It has a covering stitched together by the efforts of their hands, but does not have a substitutionary real righteousness that is applied to the heart. When you understand that, you understand the Sermon on the Mount, which is why Jesus would say, when you pray, don't make a big deal about it. Go into your quiet place. Your father who is in heaven, he is your source of righteousness, not the neighborhood, not the church, not the religious organization. That quiet place with God, he is your righteousness, do you see? Now, we've gone from cursing trees and we step into a temple. And in the temple, they have lots of things going on. Lots of people are there, but there's a big problem. What they think the temple should be about is not what the temple is actually about. What they think sacrifice should be about is not what the author of the sacrifice thought it should be about. Do you see? There is a conflict here. The problem is not they're not being religious. That's not the problem. A lack of religion is rarely the problem. We were created to be worshipers. It might be a hobby, a career, or an ancient religion, but you're going to worship something. And in absence of an exterior idol, you'll worship yourself. And we do that better than ever in our society. There's There's no risk of having, of being unreligious. The risk is that you miss the point of it. The risk is that you turned it into something that is suited to your 
perceived needs, not your actual spiritual needs. And that's why it struck me so hard when the Lord asked me after prayer, um, do you want to be a Christian or do you just want to be saved? (laughs) Am I just trying to punch the boxes or am I trying to be like Jesus? It's hard to be like Jesus. You have to examine your heart. You have to wrestle with why you said what you said, both good and bad. What you said that actually was a backhanded compliment. Do you see? These challenges of our heart and life are uh, so important and so profound for us not to be a tree without fruit. We've stitched together uh, counterfeit godliness and we use it to cover the naked sin of our heart. But it's false because it produces no fruit. On the other hand, once you realize that your righteousness can only be gifted, imparted by God to you, and our receiving it is an act of submission and worship on our part, once you once you see that and everything begins to change and you're able not to earn it, but to accept it. That's why the Pharisee is so interested in keeping people out. Do you see? Because they had to work for it. They earned it. And these people show up and they're not living right. Let them go to hell. Jesus said the Pharisee would move heaven and earth to make uh, a disciple. And when he or she did, that they were twice the son of hell that they were. And that they loved, Jesus' words, to close the gates of heaven. They loved to close the gates of heaven. You can't go and you can't go and you can't go. And I've been watching you on social media, so you can't go. And I heard what your your kid did. You can't go. That's Pharisee religion. It's a bitter, bitter place of false, fig leaf, symbolic godliness. And the Lord cursed it because it had no fruit. All right, now we're in the temple. They've turned it into something else. The court of the Gentiles is now a place of business. It was supposed to be a place of prayer for all peoples. Jesus said, you have taken what I intended to be a place of prayer for our peoples. Where would those people pray? In the court of the Gentiles. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Where's business business happening in the, the temple? The court of the Gentiles. A religion of Pharisee values will produce lots of people who are busy policing each other. But if you go into the outer courts, you will find not many people are welcome there. And it's all for something other than what God intended it for. And so Jesus in the passage curses the tree and rebukes the temple as a lasting symbol. This story will be told and repeatedly in the Gospels. This story will be preached repeatedly across all the the great sweep of Christian history, church after church, generation after generation, peoples, cultures. You know what the fastest growing religion in Iran is right now? Christianity. (laughs) They're persecuting them and it's growing like crazy. 
Christianity is growing in Iran. Um, they're threatened with death. They're threatened with imprisonment. They, they get literally stoned. They get cast out of their societies, rejected by their families. And the fastest growing religion there is Christianity. Um, we're so blessed. We are so blessed. We're not just in the richer portion of the rich world, which we are. Um, we are also blessed beyond measure. Uh, most of us have had years to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Most of us have had years to, to become somebody who God said we could be. Um, some of us were raised by godly parents. We were raised with church opportunities all around us. We're blessed and we're thankful for that. Most of us have enough Bibles sitting in various places of our house. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe I'm a preacher and I have a mixed view of how many Bibles you have. But <laughs> um, we've heard enough sermons. We're so, so rich. But if, well, let me say it this way. Even so, we are not as zealous as the Pharisees were, and they missed it. We did not go to the equivalent of K-12 school only studying the law of God. That's what they did, and they missed it. We are not near as disciplined as they were in fasting and prayer and all that kind of care, and they missed it. The challenge for me is to repeatedly go into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, am I content with just being a part of a religious community or am I trying to be like you? Am I content with just having a, a title or a label or am I trying to be like you? Um, am I content with my comfortable flaws and errors and sins or am I really trying to make progress in my life? Do I just want to be saved or am I trying to be like Jesus? The person just trying to be saved, they just want a formula so they can sleep better at night. The person who's trying to be like Jesus has to ask themselves what they're going to do with their time, what they're going to do with their life. It's a heavy thing to ask yourself. But if you read the times Jesus is talking to the crowd and they're sitting around his feet, he's asking them one challenging question after another, one insightful, instructive, soul-bearing parable after another. And then he's asking them to figure out what they're going to do with their life. He's largely teaching Jews. I mean, he said it himself. He came primarily to the house of Israel. Now, yes, he did a lot of miracles in Samaria. There was no way in Samaria he could have only been ministering to Jews. It was very mixed. Greeks, Romans, some, uh, Samaritans. Um, you get the idea. Uh, but for the large part, his audience was Jewish. None of, they, none of them thought they were saved. I mean, lost. Let me restate that. None of them thought they were lost. They had no concept of saved loss like we do. Even when Jesus taught on hell, they did not think of it in terms of us. What do you mean lost? I'm a child of Abraham. They did not think in formulas of salvation. They thought in terms of covenant identity. I go to the temple. I obey and honor my father, my mother. I keep the commandments. What do you mean saved or lost? 
They did not hear Jesus' teaching on heaven and hell like we do. What's astonishing about that to me, and I, I'm sorry if I, I make you stretch <laughs> uh, to uncomfortable <laughs> uh, reflections, but Jesus is constantly stretching them. He's not telling them how to be saved. Read his words. He's stretching them. Whether he's talking about the parable of lost things, uh, Luke 15, you've got a hundred sheep, you've got 10 coins, you've got two brothers. Um, <laughs> what, what are you, what's going on here? Is this a formula? Is this what we refer when we quote a favorite scripture from the book of Acts say? That's not what Jesus is digging up the soil of their heart and asking them what is the value of their life? What kind of a life do they want to live? Will they pray? Will they seek first the kingdom of God? Will they desire the blessings of heaven? Will they see with different eyes? Will they listen with different ears? He challenges them to be a follower of Jesus, not just buy a ticket, <laughs> be a follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not doing a great job. Um, I, I, I can do a better job. I'm nowhere near I need to be. I don't care if you think bad of me when I say that. Uh, I, I, I have to say it. I'm, I'm not who I could be. I, there could be much more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. It's too easy for me just from my whole story to be more comfort, comforted by a stitched together coat or garment of fig leaves that's a pretend covering for guilt and say, well, I don't have any fruit in my life, but oh, I've got this wonderful fig leaves and the Lord sees the leaves, but no fruit and curses the tree. I want my heart to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not looking for a shortcut. I'm not looking for an easy way. I'm not looking for a way to multitask God. I'm hungry to know him. And if there's anything in you, let me challenge you to be hungry to know him, to seek after his righteousness, to seek first his kingdom, to receive the gospel, the covering. What, let me end with this. What did Jesus, or not Jesus, let me back up past the gospels, go back to the garden. What does God do when he sees them with a false covering of fig leaves? It's the first sacrifice in all the story. The very first sacrifice is when the Lord kills an animal to cover their sin and takes the bloody skin of that, that animal and wraps it around their nakedness. Says, basically by action. Your effort, your false godliness of fig leaves threaded together to cover your guilt is not going to work. Let me cover you with the blood. And that is the first sacrifice in all the story of the, gospel, of, of the scripture. Today we are still laying down our 
perceived fig leaves. And we're saying, cover me, Lord Jesus. Wash me, Lord Jesus, that I might be more like you. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today. I'm praying today that we as believers would would do more than simply fear judgment, but we would hunger after your presence, your holiness, your godliness, not ours, yours. You alone are good. Your righteousness, your godliness covering us. Lord, I'm praying that as a, a church that we would we would not simply want the community of religious people. We would not be satisfied simply with people saying, oh, brother so-and-so sure is a good Christian. Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be within us a real, authentic seeking after you, a real evaluation of our heart, real spiritual ears to hear the conviction of your Holy Spirit when we're in wrong and in error. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that we would have an awakening to real spiritual life, not simply satisfaction with religious life. Because religious life can never be a substitute for spiritual life. Religious life is a tree that has leaves, but no fruit. Spiritual life is the natural product of the Holy Spirit working in us. And those fruit of the Spirit live within us in a demonstrable, testimonial way. And it's that that convinces people to listen to us. I'm praying that we would be people of service. I'm praying that we would be people of prayer. I'm praying that we would be uncomfortable when we find ourselves too spiritually lazy. We would be uncomfortable when we find ourselves too excusing of ourselves. And we, without needing to be religious about it and announce our intention, would simply want to draw nigh to you and would simply begin to draw boundaries of worship because everything we do is not a production of holiness in our life. It is a worship of you and your holiness. We are changed through love, not law. And that's so hard for the religious mind to accept. It's hard for it's it's hard for me to accept. But Lord Jesus, the gospel has to matter more to us than our reassurance. The gospel, right scripture, has to matter more to us than reassuring doctrines that speak more to religion than spiritual life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not be content to be seen as spiritual. I pray that we would have hunger to actually be spiritual. I pray, oh God, that we would not be content to have a, a label or a title given to us, but that we would be aware that our, it's like David said, my sins are ever before me. I know it's not me. It's you, oh God. Wash us and cleanse us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you for it today. Amen. Um, we have had technical difficulties this whole uh, time together. I apologize for that. It might be on my end. I will continue trying to perfect this and making it as good as possible. Um, I, 
I've got a bunch of messages from people who couldn't get in. That's what happens. <laughs> I love you. I appreciate you. God bless you all. Uh, things happening uh, the rest of the week. Uh, of course, we have early prayer Thursday and Friday if you'd like to join that. Um, we also have uh, Pastor Don's Bible study tomorrow night. Um, the link, direct links to that are on the church website, firstchurchclt.com. And uh, we will be having other meetings, get together small groups over the weekend. Uh, Sunday's coming. Let's bring the joy of the Lord with us when we come. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great day in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.